Um, welcome to this presentation. Um, my name is Teresa Han, and I'm a counselor here. How many of you guys know where the counseling department is at? Where? Good. Second floor. S202. Okay, good. You win. I wish I had candy. I'd throw it at you guys. Um, so I want to start by saying that I am not an expert in meditation or mindfulness because you always can learn more, just like any subject matter. But I am very interested in the subject, and so I've been a student in mindfulness for about four years now. Um, in part, because I was overstressed, and I had to figure out a way to deal with it. So what are your stressors in your daily life, guys? Work. Who's, who's, who's stressed at school? Yes. What about school? All the last-minute projects, right? All the last-minute papers, studying for finals, okay? What else are the stresses in your life? Does, that, does somebody get stressed out by family? Okay. So there's a lot of reasons um, we get stressed. Work home, community, what's going on in our neighborhoods, what's going on in our towns, what's going on in our state, what's going on in our nation, what's going on in our world, okay? So when I say the word meditation, what comes up for you? Um, that's what my brother-in-law does. Every time I say meditation, he goes, which is not the type of meditation I do, but at least he's got the right idea. What else? Turn off your mind. Anything else? Focus, okay. Silence, okay. So there's a little irony that I'm doing this when it's kind of crazy around here, but we're going to work with that, okay. So meditation is not about feeling a certain way. It's about feeling the way you feel. This is a quote by John Kabat-Zinn. Has anybody heard of him? No? He's, you have, okay, yeah. He's a... Uh, he actually was trained as a scientist and was working at MIT and developed uh, what he, he called a stress reduction um, program for people that had chronic pain because him, he himself was a meditator and he found enormous relief from that, okay? So we're really going to talk about what mindfulness meditation is because some of what you said was right, some of what you said was wrong, not quite right. So um, this is Anderson Cooper who did a... Um, Our lives are filled with distractions. Email, Twitter, okay. texting. We're constantly connected to technology, rarely alone with just our thoughts, which is probably why there's a growing movement in America to train people to get around the stresses of daily life. It's a practice called mindfulness, and it basically means being aware of your thoughts, physical sensations, and surroundings. Tonight, we'll introduce you to the man who's largely responsible for mindfulness gaining traction. His name is John Kabat-Zinn, and he thinks mindfulness is the answer for people who are so overwhelmed by life, they feel they aren't really living at all. There are a lot of different ways to talk about mindfulness, but what it really means is uh, awareness. Is it being present? It is being present. That's exactly what it is. I don't feel I'm very present in each moment. I feel like every moment I'm either thinking about 
something that's coming down the road or something that's been in the past. So ultimately, all this preparing is for what? For the next moment, like the last moment, like, and then we're dead. So in a certain <laughs> way, are we going to experience while we're still alive? We're only alive now. John Kabat-Zinn is an MIT-trained scientist who's been practicing mindfulness for 47 years. Back in 1979, he started teaching mindfulness through meditation to people suffering from chronic pain and illness. That program is now used in more than 700 hospitals worldwide. So how can you be mindful in your daily life? When your alarm goes off and you jump out of bed, what is the nature of the mind in that moment? Are you already like, oh my God, the calendar pops into your mind and you're driven already? Or can you take a moment and just lie in bed and just feel your body breathing? So how many of you guys experience that in the morning when you wake up, like on Monday morning? Monday morning is the hardest time for me to meditate. I meditate in the morning, but Monday I have a hard time staying in the moment and in the present, okay? Did it make sense what he said? We're never in the present moment. We're in the past. We're in the future. How many of you guys have driven home from work or from school and you blink your eyes and then you're home and you don't remember the drive home? Okay, we're not present. Where are we at? What we should be doing? What we should have done? So it's really, it's really hard, though, to live in the present, right? Because we have so much to do. So what I have found for myself is meditation helps me slow down and be in the present 90% of the time. If it's only for the 20 minutes that I'm meditating, okay? And remember, oh yeah, brand new day and I'm still alive. So I get out of bed with awareness, brush my teeth with awareness. When you're in the shower, next time check and see if you're in the shower. <laughs> what do you mean check and see if you're in the shower? Well, you may not be. You may be in your first meeting at work. You may have 50 people in the shower with you. Kabat-Zinn says mindfulness takes practice. A lot of people start with a training class to learn how to meditate. He agreed to teach us at a weekend retreat on a remote mountaintop in Northern California. When we arrived, we were told there'd be no television to watch, no internet, not even an alarm clock. So how does that sound? No television, no internet, no alarm clock. Frightening, right? Why? Why is that frightening to us? We need to figure that out, okay? Over spring break, I was blessed enough to go to a um, St. Croix Island, okay? Beautiful island, very remote. We stayed at Echo Resort. There was no internet, there was no cell phone coverage, there was no TV, there was no, there was no air conditioning. It was cool. Okay, uh, but hard at times that I couldn't connect. Um, now we went to other parts of the island. We did have cell phone coverage just to check in with family. But so that's the important part. What would it be like for you to not to have your cell phone on for a day? What would it be like if you drove home and you figured out you left your cell phone at work? Did that happen? It's happened to me. Okay, so just something to think about. All right, I want to move on. So this whole na na uh, notion to start where you are. How many of you guys have had an argument with somebody, right? And at the end of the argument, you don't even know what it was about. But there was a lot of emotion, right? Chances are you won't really 
really angry with that situation. You were angry about a lot of situations, and this came to the head, okay? But if you can deal with your life as it comes, you will be able to live more fully because you won't be stuck in your emotions, okay? On Friday afternoon, I met a friend to go do a yoga class, and I walked up to her, and I could see this face that something was really wrong. And I said to her what was going on. She's like, did you read your email? I was like, not since 3 o'clock. It was like 5. We got an email from Kevin. Kevin's a dear friend that we've known for a long time. He was just diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Okay? So she, you know, she had some time to kind of adjust with this. She had known about it. She actually saw Kevin and talked to him. I was just like blown away. So I'm in this yoga class my eyes out. But I had to do that to be in the present. Because if I just would have pushed that aside, it would have bubbled up somewhere else. Okay? So it's really starting where you're at. And mindfulness is not getting rid of what's in your mind. It's being with your mind and noticing your mind. Okay? And letting it settle a little bit before you can, you know, get it, get it, I don't want to say clear, because you can never completely clear your mind. So what keeps us from being still? What keeps you guys from being still? We keep ourselves from being still, right? It's us. We like to say it's work. We like to say it's our, um, our boss. We like to say it's our children, our spouse, our family members, our lawn, our house, our laundry. But it's all our decision, okay? So we use our busy lives to escape from ourselves. I became a counselor and worried about other people's problems for a very long time before I realized I had some of my own stuff I had to deal with. So what do you guys do to escape? If you've got something that you should be doing or something emotional that you kind of has kind of washed over you and you don't want to deal with it, what do you do? Read, okay. What else? Listen to music, okay. Work out. Those are all healthy ways. What are some unhealthy ways that many of us? Shopping. Spider solitaire. So I'm starting to play spider solitaire. I know I'm stressed, okay. Or watching a lot of HGTV, okay. So it's being aware of that, that that's what's going on for you. And it, it's okay to do that when you discern and say, you know what, I need a timeout, and I'm going to do this for a little while. But when it's mindless, then that becomes a problem. Why do you think it is sort of bubbled up? I mean, we're hearing more and more about mindfulness these days. I think it's partly because there's the, there's no contemplative times that are built in our day. Oh, used to be. Like when I was a kid, my dad came home at five. I re I don't remember him getting work calls or needing to check his email. We didn't have email. We're kind of like naturally built in contemplative moments. If that doesn't you will. exist anymore. That doesn't exist we're anymore. We're accessible at all moments. At all moments. And I think the what people are realizing is that constant connectivity is great for part of the day. But if you do it your entire day, you're more stressed, you can't sleep, you're less present with your kids, and they're fine, they're hungry for some way to say, you know what, I need time for myself, and I need time for some kind of contemplative space in my day. And that's
so did you hear at the beginning what he said was remember when our when our fathers used to come home from work they would sit they'd hang out they would just chill there was no teeth there was no internet there was no cable there was no cell phones there was built-in contemplative practice even if it was with martini okay when we when I know when I was kids we didn't you know we as soon as we got home from school we were out the door to play when I moved down to my block, there was 37 kids on my block. It was rocking. There was kids all the time. Now, I don't see kids outside. I don't know if you guys noticed that, you know. So it's like there's so much there's so much for for kids, students, for us to be taken away from being with ourselves. Because I believe a lot of us are just really scared of what we would find if we sat with ourselves, you know. Especially if um, you haven't dealt with things. True for you, Jen. Absolutely. Do you worry about the future for your kids in this world of, of hyper technology where it just it's getting faster and faster and faster and getting bombarded by more and more information? Yes. Because life has become so fast. So this has created a space for me to slow down and, and almost create balance in my life. And if I can instill this in my children at a young age then they grow up with it, and this is what they know. Do you turn off your devices? Yes. You work in I, technology. Aren't you I, responsible for all this? Aren't but, you responsible for all this clutter? We're working Monday through Friday. I'm often back online at night after I put my children to bed. So that those few moments that I have with my children, I want to be completely 100% focused on that time with them, and so I put my technology away. You're both scientists. Was it... So there's been a lot more recent research about why people would want to bring mindfulness meditation to their lives. What do you think that would be? Get a guess. What could what could be a benefit of bringing meditation and mindfulness to your life? How so? Yes, you would. Exactly, exactly. In case it's okay. You were gonna say? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um you can find joy in everyday life when you're living your everyday life. We miss a lot of joyful moments. When we're walking down the hall, we can miss somebody smiling at us. We also can miss somebody who's in pain. But that's the wholeness of life. So that's why I think it's really important. Uh, Pema Children's one is one of my favorite authors around this whole thing around mindfulness. You've heard of her? Yeah? Yeah. Um, she's 80 years old. I actually just saw her speak um, two weeks, oh, not last week, and the weekend before. And um, she lived, was living a normal Western life. And she got married pretty young, got divorced pretty quickly uh, because she left her husband. She said, this isn't going to work. Got married again, had a few kids, and her husband left her, and it rocked her world. Rocked her world. So... She is, 
she is able, she was able to turn her life around by trying to, because she was a mess. She was a big mess. And so she was able to turn her life around by kind of looking at her life differently. I needed to do the same thing. Six years ago, my anxiety had gotten so bad, I couldn't go to work for two weeks. Bad. Bad stuff. Okay? It's before I was working here. Seven years ago. But the thing that really helped me is trying to be, trying to figure out about my anxiety. What was I so worried about? I didn't even know why I was so worried. So I had to get in touch with that anxiety. I had to get in touch with some of the sadness that went along with it. So this is Pema Chodron. She's going to talk about the seed of the next moment, which I think is pretty um, important to think about. The way we think is the way I think, and I think probably all of us, is rock logic in terms of right now I'm feeling, I wake up and I feel so depressed and or so anxiety written written something. And there's this rock logic thing about this is how it is. You know, this is how I am. It's like this. Rather than, I'm not quite sure why it is that I woke up feeling like this, but perhaps it's because I lost $500,000 on the stock exchange last <laughs> night. <laughs> or maybe it's because, you know, my, my children are uh, suffering. Uh, maybe it's because uh, I just, uh, I'm, my health is so bad, I just got a bad medical report. Maybe I could trace it back, but whatever... What for whatever the causes is, maybe it's just hormonal, but um, the the causes and conditions came together to create this moment, this mo early morning depression. But it's just the seed of the next moment and the whole rest of the day and the whole rest of the life. And so the joy is that it's always how you relate to what's happening. It's always how you relate to what's happening. Meg has a quote in here from Chogyam Trumpa, which uh, she'll probably talk be more talking about this quote, but I've, I've referred to it many times because he says, you can't always change the outer circumstances, but you can always change how you relate to the outer circumstances. And the feeling of joy... So does that make sense? Like, you know, have you ever woken up and you're just in a bad mood and everything just piled on it for the whole day? Part of that probably had to do with how you were looking at the day, right? Maybe you had a headache, maybe you didn't get enough sleep. Whatever it is, it's how you look at things, how you relate to your life can make a difference. And we have more control over that than we think. Would you guys agree? But we forget about that. We forget about that. Joy is that whatever uh, is happening right now is the fruition of what's come before, but it's the seed of what's coming next. And how you relate to what's happening right now becomes uh, the main spiritual uh, path. Is how. And you know, as my work as a counselor, we know that 
when somebody gets depressed, when somebody has anxiety, the more, the longer period of time before there is, before they can get treatment, the more entrenched it becomes. It's almost like it's a groove that gets further and further and further, okay? I'm sure you have people in your life. I know somebody, like my, one of my neighbors. I like, I love her dearly, but she is the biggest pessimist on the face of this earth. And I feel, oh my gosh, I went to talk to her for the first time in a really long time, and oh my gosh, I was, her, her negative energy was like, just like spewing out all over the place. And I felt so bad for her to have that much going on. And I would argue there's a lot of people on campus that have some of that same stuff. And so if we can shift it, we can't change her outer circumstances. She's dealing with the aging parents and her husband's aging parents. We can't change that. But how she looks at that can be shifted. And, and I'm, I'm going to suggest for all of us, we can do the same thing. And we can teach others how to do the same thing. But we got to, you know, I went, I, I, I teach students about this. But I had I had to work the program myself. I can't I can't say that this works without I know it works for me. I know it's helped my own anxiety. I know it's helped me deal with some family origin stuff, which God knows we all have it. We all have something. Okay? So it's something just to kind of consider. So I like this. This is a really good quote. It talks about our mind. So it's not, we cannot see our reflection in running water. It's only in still water that we can see, okay? So we can never completely make our mind blank as much as we'd like it to, okay? But if we can let it settle down, we can let it just chill, we have the ability to see much more. And I really try to teach this to students around creativity, around writing that paper. You can't write a paper, you can't even start a paper, you can't even start a project when it's really, really full of noise. So, so we do know that mindfulness can calm anger and irritation. We know that it can reduce anxiety. A lot of studies have been doing that. It actually changes the real estate of the brain, okay? When, they, when they've when they done MRIs for um, with meditators, people that meditate all the time, monks and people that meditate all the time, the brain is calmer. It has, it has clearer paths back and forth. Um, and enhancing, it can enhance the health and immunity of people. Now, I know we're all distracted right now by what's going on over there. If anybody's distracted by noise, it is me. But what has helped is this doesn't bother me like it would have been five years ago. Okay? Because I know it's part of life. You know, when I first got here, I was like, okay, how is this going to work doing this kind of this kind of presentation in this busy library? And I quickly let it go. It's like well, it is what it is, okay? Not everybody's going to buy it. Not everybody's going to want to calm down and listen. That's okay, okay? Um. Meditation can transform your life and be profoundly healing. So this is John Kibbutzen, and he just talks about meditation. He's kind of like, it's like a, 
it's like a commercial for a meditation, but I, I like what he says. And it does that by working on the entirety of the organism, uh, from your chromosomes to uh, your cells to uh, your brain, uh, and it affects the all organ systems within the body. We're beginning to understand that, including the immune system and how the brain activity functions under stress and under difficult situations, how we regulate emotions and so forth. And the brain, being uh, an organ of experience, actually is continually changing its shape. This is the kind of uh, uh, discovery of neuroplasticity. And how, so how we decide to live our lives, and in a sense how we decide to keep our minds, actually changes not just our ideas and opinions and, and how caught we get in them, but actually changes our relationship thought. And then when we look at the structure of the brain, not only is the brain functioning differently, but the actual structure of the brain, the, what some people call the real estate of the brain, is being recruited in the service of greater compassion, equanimity, clarity, and wisdom. And you can see that in different regions of the brain that actually become thicker. Compared to what we know, what we don't know is like colossal. It's always that way in science. So we know a tiny little bit. We think we know what the importance of it is. But the interesting thing will be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we'll know so much more. We'll laugh in some way at what we thought we knew now. But it will, I think, if the science is really rigorous and, and, uh, and, and totally open to looking at things on the basis of first principles and not biased by a desire for meditation to show certain kinds of effects, that that the potential is that it will be un incontrovertible that we should be teaching this to our children when they're when they're young, that we should be immunizing them, so to speak, against stress, against uh, against the kinds of forces that are at play in the world so much of the time now, and that uh, it would be irresponsible for to allow a human being to come to adulthood without at least um, making it available to them to learn how to tune their own instruments so that they could play it under sometimes very, very challenging situations. And so when we think about in the 80s and the 90s and even early 2000s, the big fitness craze, right? I mean, that people became aware that physical fitness was really, really important. And he's suggesting this is going to be physical fitness for the brain, okay? The other thing, what I really try to tell my students is emotions, our feelings, are passing. Okay? If you let them pass, they can pass. Okay? So what I teach my students is, especially the ones that are really stressed, let's sit in that. Let's, what I say, sit in the S-H-I-T. And let's sit in that and let's be with that in a safe environment in the counseling room. And it tends to diminish. It tends to diminish. The other thing I really try to teach my students is just because you have a thought does not mean it's reality. Okay? Right? And this is really helpful. This is really helpful when working with family, I have found. Okay? Um, just because you have a thought about how something should have happened doesn't mean that's the reality. That's one option. Okay? And I like what he's saying about young children. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old grandson who gets some of his personality from my daughter-in-law who can get easily frustrated. 
So I went and got teaching him, okay, what do you do? I, he goes, you know, I'm like, Noah, what do you do? We breathe, Grandma. So we sit and we breathe. Okay, wasn't isn't that an awesome tool for somebody this big? He's getting bigger. But to have, we should all be doing that. We should all be practicing that. Okay, noticing what we're feeling when we're feeling it. Noticing our thoughts, but don't give them all of the power. Okay, can you imagine how? I mean, how the political scene would be different how the world scene would be different if we kind of all started to move in that direction. So. So what would prevent you from meditating? If I said you would get a guaranteed some benefit from meditating 10 to 20 minutes a day, what would you say that would keep you from meditating? What's the number one reason? Time. Right? What else? Can't turn yourself off, okay. I would argue, you get up 10 minutes early, you could fit it in, right? Because if you had to go to the doctor, you get it in, right? Can't turn your mind off. You're not supposed to be turning off your mind, okay? It takes practice to calm your mind. So when I get in a meditative position now, my body knows, okay, we're slowing down. My mind knows we're slowing down, okay? Just like when you're getting on a bike, you know how to do it. There's body memory, okay? So that's the one thing that I hear from people who've attempted meditation, but they didn't do, they weren't very good at it. There's no good or bad. There's no right or wrong. You know, just be with it. And then like I said, there's sometimes I just cannot I cannot settle down my mind and I look at the timer and I've it's ten minutes and I haven't meditated. You know, I'm figuring out life. Okay? And it just means focusing on the breath. This is a cute little video about the uh, meditation. Hey, I'm Dan Harris. To my vast surprise, I have become something of a public evangelist for meditation. In this role, uh, I hear a lot of excuses from people about why they don't meditate. I'm going to go through the top three excuses and dismantle them one by one. So number one is people think meditation is baloney. I sympathize. This is exactly how I used to feel. I used to think that meditation was only for hippies and freaks and weirdos and rogue gurus and people who live in a yurt and collect crystals and John Tesh and Cat Stevens CDs and are <laughs> deeply into aromatherapy and wear little finger symbols and use the word namaste unironically. It's not entirely untrue, by the way, but it's largely untrue. And here's why. Meditation has been the subject of an explosion of scientific research in the last couple of years. This research is still in its infancy in many ways, but it's strongly suggestive of an almost laughably long list of health benefits, including lowering your blood pressure, boosting your immune system, uh, reducing the release of the stress hormone cortisol. And here's where things get sci-fi. Scientists have been peering into the brains of meditators and finding that they're in effect doing a kind of neurosurgery on themselves, rewiring their brains for increased happiness, calm, and lowered reactivity. As a result of this science, meditation is now being done in some surprising places, including at major corporations like Google, Twitter, Aetna, and Procter & Gamble, and General Mills even. These are the people who make Hamburger Helper, and they now have meditation rooms in every building on their corporate campus in Minnetonka, Minnesota. Meditation cool. is also now being done by elite athletes, including uh, Novak Djokovic, who won Wimbledon, the Seattle Seahawks, who won the Super Bowl. 
It's also being done uh, by a lot of people in pop culture, including Katy Perry, the lead singer of Weezer, and 50 Cent. That dude got shot nine times. He deserves some peace of mind. <laughs> and perhaps most compellingly, it's now being done by the U.S. military. Both the Marines and the Army are spending millions to study whether meditation uh, can make more effective and more resilient troops. So I think this kills permanently the idea that meditation is only for weirdos. Uh, so here's misconception number two, which is that I can't do it. This is what I hear all the time. Okay, I get it. Meditation's good for you, but you don't understand. My mind is too busy. I could never do it. Here's the good news and the bad news. You're not special. Welcome <laughs> to the human condition. This is the way everybody's mind works. I call this the fallacy of uniqueness. Everybody's mind is out of control. If, it, if that were not the case, we wouldn't need meditation. The whole game in meditation is starting over. Those are the key words, starting over. You're going to sit, you're going to try to focus on your breath in meditation, and then you're going to get lost, you're going to start thinking about weird things, and then you just start over and over and over. I'm a fidgety, skeptical newsman. I've been doing this for five years, and if I can do it, you can too. Trust me. Okay, so here's the third misconception. I don't have time for this. I hear this a lot. All it takes is five to ten minutes a day. I don't care if you've got 17 children and 55 jobs. You have five to ten minutes a day. It's that five to ten minutes of having a confrontation with the voice in your head, that voice that chases you out of bed in the morning and is yammering at you all day long, that can help you in the rest of your life resist the terrible suggestions that the voice offers up, which is basically its job. Five to ten minutes when you get up in the morning, right before you go to bed, when you pull your car into the driveway, set an alarm on your phone, and let rip, I think it'll make a huge difference for you. So those are the three most popular misconceptions. Now that we've killed them, you have no excuse. So you guys know who he is, Dan Harris. He's a newsman. And he, um, I want to say he worked for ABC. He was working for ABC, and he was having a lot of anxiety, and he started using some drugs. And I mean, he this he has a book, okay. But what happened was he had a full blown panic attack on the air, and he's like, "Okay, I gotta." And then he got assigned to do religious studies, um, news reporting, and he learned about Buddhism and meditation, and he kind of fell into it. He he's very he was very much a skeptic. He was very much a skeptic. Like this is. You know, this is nonsense. But now he's the, one of our biggest proponents of meditation. And he does it regularly, and he finds, he finds you know, he finds it really helps him out. And he got out of, off of all of his addictions. So I thought he was a pretty good, you know, he's, you know, he's like one of us. He's not like somebody that was, <laughs> that was raised in a monastery. He's like one of our jaded Americans who's like, this is goofy, you know. So that's why I thought he was uh, appropriate. So, um, has anybody done any contemplative practices at, at all? Have you done any yoga? Yeah. Okay. What do they do at the beginning and end of every yoga practice, usually? You lay down, you settle. What do you focus on? Your breath. Okay. Anybody done any um, journal writing? Okay. That's getting everything out from up here 
into a space so it doesn't keep clogging up your brain, right? Pretty powerful. Um, tai Chi, have any Tai Chi people? No, too slow for me, I can't do it. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do that are contemplative, okay? Reading in some ways can be contemplative, depending on what that is. So I'm gonna ask, would you guys, do you guys wanna do a little meditation? One, or are you done? What do you guys think? It is, it is 10.43. Game? Yeah, okay, great, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. So we're gonna do something a little different that I would normally do at the beginning of a meditation. We're gonna use our environment as part of our meditation because we got a lot to work with right now, right? So what I tell people to do is when you, when you start to meditate, you wanna get in a position of comfort, but you want to be erect and you wanna be you know, sitting up Paul, um, ideally have your feet on the floor. Um, with some of my shorter students, I end up putting books under, the, you know, under their feet. Um, and so the idea here is to have an intention. Why are you meditating? Okay, what's your purpose? Okay, maybe you just want to have some calmness. Okay, now you want to make sure your intention is realistic. Okay. You know, if you're having panic attacks every single day, you don't want to have any more panic attacks. That's not realistic. But just center your attention to find some inner calmness, even if it's just a piece. Okay? Having your feet flat on the floor, if possible, if not on the floor, you, you really want to kind of what I call take root. Okay? You really want to feel your sits bones on the, on the chair. You want to feel your feet rooted into the ground. Um, for some people like to meditate with eyes open, eyes closed, whatever works for you. I meditate with eyes open. Um, you have to find what's comfortable for you. And the idea is just having your hands rest on gently on your uh, lap. And <clears throat> I'm going to ring the bell to start, and I'll ring it to, to end, but I will be talking through the meditation just to give some direction. Okay? So today we're just going to focus and start by noticing our breath. We want to notice our breath as it comes in, our breath as we exhale. The only thing we have to worry about right now is our breath. If you're distracted by thoughts, noises, emotions, once you notice that distraction, just come back to the breath. The whole idea here is to come become familiar with your breath in a new, unusual way. Mm -hmm. 
not trying to control our breath. We're not trying to slow it down. We're just being with the breath as much as possible. Breathing in. Breathing out. Noticing air as it comes in. In the nostrils. Notice the warmthness of your breath as it leaves your bodies. Now we're just going to notice some of the noises that we hear. See if you can pick up the sounds of your environment. Maybe you hear voices. you hear some buzzing. See if you can pick up a noise that's further out in the distance. You can just hear the noise and not label it. Not put any judgment on it, not put any thoughts whether it's good or bad, it just is. It might be a noise you've heard before. Something similar. See if you can hear it in a different way. So now we're going to bring our focus back to our breath. Anything that comes into our mind space, we're just going to let that go. Let it pass almost like clouds in the sky. Just focusing on the breath. Where's the bed? That's one fear that people have is that they're going to fall asleep. So I didn't meditate yesterday morning, so I'm meditating at like 10 o'clock at night. And it, it, yeah, that's why I have to meditate in the morning usually. So how was that for you guys? Was it hard to, to let go of some of the noise? I know sometimes, at times it was for me. 
Yeah. Okay. What did you notice about your breath? You might not have noticed before. You noticed the pace of it slowing down. Okay. What about noise? What did you notice about the noise that was different? That's pretty powerful, right? Because, you know, if you live with anybody, right, they're going to annoy you with their noise at some point, right? Um, I'm really, I mean, I'm not glad the Blackhawks lost, but I'm kind of glad because I don't have to hear the, the games going off until, like, June or whatever, you know. But it's really powerful if you could just do it for five or ten minutes. How does your body feel? Relaxed. You did it for five minutes. Five minutes. You know? So anybody could do that. There's a lot of apps on phones that you can use, you know, to do timing or just have actually, you know, talking. Um, so I really recommend maybe starting each day, maybe ending each evening with meditation. Do you guys have any questions? Thank you for being... <laughs> A great audience and coming down because it would have been really hard to do this in front of nobody. So, my, again, my name is Tracy Hannon. I have um, a lot of books up here, just a lot of books that I I use. If you know, if you ever want to borrow them, let me know. Um, this is a glitter. Has anybody seen a glitter jar? You have. They make these for kids, but I use this with my students. And I don't know if you can really see it. You shake it up. And I t when a student's really upset, I say, okay, just focus on the jar until the glitter calms down. They can do that. Because when I say meditation, they're like, oh, you're like like crazy counselor meditation person, aren't you? So sometimes I use that. I always have this sand um, box on my desk. And since love it. It's just something that they can play around with, Okay. This is a, has anybody ever walked a labyrinth? A labyrinth? It's like a, it's not a maze. It's one way in, one way out. And well, here's like a kind of a, like what they call a finger or a, you could do it right here. Okay. There's a lot of things that kind of calm us down. Have you guys noticed the explosion of adult coloring books? I had one of my college 101 students say that's what he's been doing to release stress. I was like speechless, you know, because he's doing something that is, is quieting his mind. Okay, I'm done. You guys are free to go. Thank you. Thank you so much.